Are there apostles and prophets in the church today? The first church that I attended after I was born again in 1975 would have taught there are no apostles and prophets in the church today, but there are evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I don't remember them ever explaining why there are no apostles and prophets. I really didn't think much about it. I just assumed that was true. The second church that I attended during that time would have taught there are evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and there might be prophets. The third church that I attended in those years would have taught that there are all five offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. What does the Bible say? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 11 through 14 tells us the truth in this matter. Ephesians chapter 4, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Jesus gave to the church gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I've been in churches where they taught Paul was the last apostle. This is insanity. Paul fit this New Testament description. He had never seen Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. Unlike Peter and the other apostles, Paul had never seen Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, they had a meeting to select the apostle who would replace Judas. Peter said the, the one they selected had to have walked with them, with the other apostles, since the days of John the Baptist, and he had to have been there with them when Jesus ascended up into heaven. Paul didn't fit either one of those characteristics. At the time Jesus ascended up into heaven, Paul was persecuting the Christians. Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. He was the last apostle according to the first group of apostles. He replaced Judas, Matthias. So where does Paul fit? Paul fits in this scripture right here in Ephesians 4. Because Paul was one of those appointed by Jesus after the crucifixion and resurrection. Paul was on the road to Damascus when Jesus revealed himself to Paul.
Acts chapter 9. Paul, uh, Jesus had already ascended when Paul was appointed by Jesus as an apostle. Paul was not the last of the apostles. Paul was the first of the New Testament apostles. He was among the first of the New Testament apostles that were given to the church after Jesus ascended. Reading once again this foundation, Ephesians chapter 4, when he, Jesus, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification, edifying of the body of Christ. There were some in Paul's day who did not think Paul could be an apostle. He'd been out persecuting the Christians. We see that there were some who did not think Paul could be an apostle by what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 2. Paul says, If I be not an apostle unto others, doubtlessly I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. One day in approximately 1981, I was driving along the road, and the Holy Spirit began speaking to me and said, I have called you and set you in the body of Christ as an apostle. I shouted out, an apostle? What's that? Almost everybody at the church I attended recognized I was a prophet. I had no doubt about that. But this apostle thing. After I was born again in 1975, in the night while I was asleep, I was transported into heaven. I was with God. I was with Christ. I was with the Holy Spirit. It was an experience in spirit. I saw no visual imagery of God or Christ or the Holy Spirit. No man seen God. But it was in the spirit. And at that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus with God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. I was made one with the Word of God. A few nights later, the exact same thing happened to me again. In the night, I was transported into heaven. I was with God. I was with Christ. I was with the Holy Spirit no images, just in the Spirit, and I was merged into the body of Jesus, made one with the Word of God. Two times this happened. How do they recognize what you are? How do you recognize a tree? If it produces apples, that's an apple tree. Well, God had already been giving me word of knowledge, and at the prayer group I was in, I was given a word of knowledge about 
a woman having a stomach problem. And in the Sunday Bible class that I attended before the regular service, the man who taught it would always say at some point in his the time of his lesson, he would always say, Does anyone have a word from the Lord? He gave the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak in that class. During the time that he led the singing at the beginning of the class, God would give me frequently several words of knowledge. So they saw I was something, and the teacher teacher didn't know what it was. He, he once started to tell the class I was a teacher. But then one day at the church service, the pastor said in front of everybody at the Sunday morning service, Joan Boney is not a teacher. She's a prophetess. Don said, that's it. She's a prophet. Because he, he had a check in his spirit that I wasn't a teacher, and I'm not. He said, she's a prophet. But here I'm driving along the road, and here I'm an apostle. So I've got both offices, apostle and prophet. Well, I know what prophets do. I've read in the Old Testament, God took me there just as soon as I was born again and showed me many things that the prophets do. But what about apostles? What do they do? Who are they? The church I attended said they believed Ephesians 4 and that there were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in the church. But who were they? I went to the Bible teacher and I said, Who are the apostles here? He said, I don't know. Now, I didn't tell him what I'd heard about myself. I didn't tell anyone that. I never did tell anyone at that church group that. But I was asking our teacher, well, what do apostles do in the church? And he said, I don't know. So I asked God, what do apostles do? And he taught me. First, he took me to a section of scripture in Acts 15. A problem had arisen in the church. The Jewish men, some of them, thought the Gentiles had to be circumcised. And they even thought the Gentiles had to follow the law of Moses. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the, the apostles and elders about this question. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and began sharing with them. 
He told his experience with the Gentiles. He told of the Old Testament scriptures. Then Barnabas and Paul shared. Then James listened to all of them, and then he spoke by the Old Testament scripture and shared what he knew. And then James rendered what is called the sentence, which is like in a Supreme Court, the justices meet, and the problem is discussed. Then one of the justices renders the decision which will rule over the court. Acts fifteen nineteen. James says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, uh, chief men among the brethren. Judas and Silas were prophets, not the Judas that crucified Jesus, but another Judas, surnamed Barsabas. Barsabas and Silas were New Testament prophets. Another scripture tells that in Acts. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicily. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, prophets, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if you keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. Today's apostles are a little bit different. From the, old, from the first apostles in this sense. For decades, the churches, many of them, have taught there are no apostles. That didn't mean to apostles didn't exist. You can say there are no apple trees, but that doesn't mean that there are no apple trees. Apostles probably were quietly going about their business. And their business is to... Compare scripture with scripture so the New Testament church can be established in the faith correctly. 
for so many doctrines in the churches today are not doctrines of the Bible. The most blatant being the doctrine concerning divorce and remarriage. In the churches that I attended as a young Christian, I heard them teach these things. And here's the way they taught it. If a woman's husband is committing fornication, she can divorce and remarry. That is not what the scriptures say at all. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11. They, they say the exact opposite. But what they've done in setting up this doctrine is they took the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, where he was speaking to the men in the congregation. He was speaking to the Jewish men, not to the women, to the men. That makes a difference. We'll look at that. Uh, let's start at verse 31. Jesus says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Jesus is saying, if you divorce a faithful wife, and she goes out and remarries, she commits adultery, but you will be the cause of her adultery. And the man who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So they've twisted it and said the woman can divorce an unfaithful husband and remarry because they want to make the rules the same for men and women, just as society wants to try to say that today. Well, there is a difference in the rules for men and women. Paul makes that clear if you will look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, starting at verse 10, Paul says, And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Paul is saying, now what I'm going to say to you is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. These two scriptures have to be considered together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, and 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, and what you have just heard me do is the work of a New Testament apostle who is going to see these scriptures come together and compare scriptures with scriptures to try to persuade you to go in the way of God. That is the work of an apostle in the New Testament church today. In Acts chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, we see a definitive statement showing what apostles do in the New Testament church. And as they went through the cities, 
they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith. See, I'm not telling you something that I have made up. I'm telling you scripture. These are the rules for the church. They're presented in the New Testament Bible. They were decreed for the church by the commandment of God, by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and printed in the Bible for us today. But the problem is the church people came along and set up different denominations and changed the rules. They changed them away from the Bible. The Catholics do all kinds of things that aren't in the Bible. They light candles with prayer. They cross themselves with holy water. Do you know what holy water is? According to the Bible, it's only cited in the Old Testament. It was a bitter water, which was used to prove whether or not the woman had committed adultery. The way they used that holy water, and you can look this up under the word holy water in your own Bible and read it. It's not in the New Testament at all. It's in the Old Testament, but what it was was a bitter type of water that when a man thought his wife had been unfaithful, he could tell the priest. The priest, uh, by the way, there are no priests in the New Testament. This is an Old Testament term for the Leviticus, Le- Le- uh, Levites that God appointed to do the work of the uh, temple. Anyway, the Old Testament priest could call the woman in and say, your husband believes you have committed adultery. We need to prove it. And the way they proved it was having her drink this bitter water. And she didn't. they didn't force her to drink it. She had to agree to drink it. She said, amen, amen to the priest when he said, this is what you have to do. So then, I'm just quoting by memory from the Old Testament. You can look it up for yourself and read it if you care to do so. But then what happened was she agreed to drink it. She drank this bitter, poisonous water. And if her thigh swelled and her stomach swelled and her thigh rotted, she was guilty. But if she didn't have any problem, that was the way they proved her innocence of adultery. And that is the way holy water is used. Now, the Catholic Church set it up somehow in the vestibule. And I've seen movies where Catholics come in and dip their finger in this water and cross themselves. There is absolutely no example in the Bible of a Catholic, of anybody crossing themselves. That's not in the New Testament. That was added by men. It seemed like a good idea to them. But it is an idol. It is evil. It is wrong. It's wrong to add to the Bible. It's wrong to add anything religious to the Bible, for if you do that, you have set up an idol. The Catholic Church is filled with idols. They've got, they pray to Mary. They have something called a rosary where they count beads on the number of time they've done some kind of saying concerning Mary. That's not in the Bible. Those are idols set up by men. If you are an idolater and practice these things, 
We're told to set you aside and not have company with you. There's all kinds of idols in the Protestant and Catholic churches. It just seems that the Catholics excel in it. They set up some kind of stone thing where they kneel down and recite something. That's not in the Bible. Actually, there are 47 scriptures in the Old Testament forbidding graven images. And even says you shall not bow down to them. And yet they do that. They set up priests and called them father. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, call no man father. And they even have they even have that scripture in the Catholic Bible. It's incredible to me that they put it in their own Bible. But it probably is explained by the fact that I have often come across Catholic women who have told me that the priest said they should not read the Bible, even though the Catholics print their own Bible. But that verse of Scripture is in the Catholic Bible. I went to Barnes & Noble and looked in a Catholic Bible. I had a friend who was Catholic, and I went down there and looked and to see if that was in the Catholic Bible. And it is, that verse of Scripture. Jesus saying, Call no man your father, for only God in heaven is your father. And I gave that scripture to her. I didn't hear from her for a few weeks. And then I heard from her and she said, thank you for the message. But she kept going to the Catholic Church and calling those priests father. She didn't believe the message. If she had believed the message, she wouldn't have gone there and called those men father. I have an outstanding story on this subject. I was in the Indian arts business and I went to the Pueblos in New Mexico and bought pottery, jewelry, but I loved pottery and I became very close friends with the Tafoya family at Santa Clara. Margaret Tafoya was one of the greatest potters that ever lived and I had the fortune to meet Margaret. And she quickly identified with me and she told me this story with great shame. She said she wanted her children, she had about seven children, she wanted them to study the Bible. So she enrolled them in McCurdy Mission School to study the Bible. The Catholic priest called her in and said, you cannot do this. You must put them back in the Catholic school. Margaret said, no, I want them to study the Bible. The priest said to her, people like you don't need to read the Bible. We will tell you what you need to know. We, the priest, will tell you what you need to know. Margaret continued to insist she wanted her children to study the Bible. The Catholic priest became furious with her. And Margaret must have been a very religious woman because the priest said to her, if you do this, we will put you out of the church and you will never be able to confess your sins again. And Margaret said, she said to me with great shame, she said, I don't know why I did this, but I said to that priest, 
I don't have to confess my sins to a man like you. I will confess them to the Lord. And she said, oh, he got so angry. And he put her out of the church. And she said, now I can't be buried at the Catholic cemetery. I said, oh, Margaret, it doesn't matter where you're buried. And I gave her scriptures from 1 Thessalonians to show that the dead in Christ will rise when Jesus returns. And she was so happy when I shared those scriptures with her, for she didn't know them. But her children did go to McCurdy Mission School to study the Bible, and I became very close friends with one of her children, Mella who was my age. And I traveled to Indian art shows with Mella, where she showed her pottery. So this is what the Catholic Church was doing. I had a, another friend years later. She was my housekeeper, house, uh, basically, took care of the property in Lubbock, Texas. And she saw me reading the Bible one day. And she said, oh, Aren't you afraid to do that? She'd been taught in the Catholic Church the same thing Margaret had, that people like them didn't need to read the Bible. It was dangerous. They could get it wrong. Well, I've seen plenty of people, Protestant and Catholics, men and women, get the Bible wrong. Yes, we do have to be careful with the Bible. When I was a new Christian, I had recognized that we had to have the leading of God to read the Bible. And I put above every chapter of my Bible at that time, pray for guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because I wanted to do that every time I read the Bible. But the Bible is the inspired word of God and is given to us so we can correct ourselves. Let's read that chapter, that verse. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture. You can't go by what they're teaching at your church. You've got to compare it to the New Testament and see if what they're teaching is right. There's a scripture which says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures to basically see if what Paul was speaking to them was truth. That's what we should all do. We're not trying to prove a pastor wrong. We just establish the truth by reading the New Testament Bible. That's how you establish your doctrine. So the apostles of the early church traveled through the cities and delivered the rules of God to them. We have the rules of God in printed form today in the form of the New Testament. 
but many churches have departed from the New Testament. Many of you had no idea it was in the Bible before I said it today that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew 5.32 There are many doctrines stated in the New Testament which have been changed by men who established various denominations. At the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us will be judged by that which is written in the New Testament, not by the doctrines of your church. At the judgment seat of Christ, God isn't going to say, Oh, are you Baptist? Well, that's all right. Then you are for, you don't have to follow that particular scripture. Or are you Presbyterian? Are you Church of Christ? Oh, that's all right. You're excused from those scriptures that you didn't follow because of your church doctrine. That's not going to happen. You're going to be judged just like I will be judged. And at the judgment seat of Christ, the thing that we'll be judged by is the Word of God, is the Holy Bible, the New Testament Bible. Those are our rule books. If you go out and play golf, there's a rule book. If you hit your shot into the water, it is one in and one out. That is the rule of golf. You have to go by the rule of golf if you play golf. If you are a Christian, you go by the rules of the New Testament Bible, which may differ greatly from the doctrine at your church. The first church that I ever attended was a group called Believer's Chapel in Dallas. It was taught by professors at Dallas Theological Seminary, and what they were teaching is tongues are of the devil. I was reading the New Testament Bible and I came across a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39, where the Apostle Paul said, Forbid not to speak in tongues. Not only were they forbidding it at the church I was attending, they were teaching it was of the devil. Now, Church of Christ Baptist, many churches would teach, teach that same thing. And that's not what the Bible says. So you see, churches set up doctrines by the will of man, and very often they are not the same rules as the New Testament Bible, and the New Testament Bible is the thing we all will be judged by at the judgment seat of Christ. I know some people who have been longtime Christians who do not think there will be a judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the New Testament church, talked about the judgment seat of Christ, and Paul said the following. Starting at verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, of Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 
This is Joan Boney speaking. All of the scriptures that I've shared with you today are written out and printed for you on our blog under podcast. Go to Jesus Ministries Exhortation to get to our blog. On the right-hand side of the home page, you'll see podcast, recordings and scriptures. You can click on that. Look for this episode, which is the Apostles, their work in the New Testament church. You can hear this recording again if you desire to do so. All of the scriptures that I have stated for you today will be on this podcast on our blog in writing. So you can see the scriptures, you can think about them, you can correct yourself by them, you can establish your doctrine, and if need be, correct your doctrine by these scriptures. Again, the name of the blog is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Be sure to put that word exhortation on there. Exhortations. Look for the podcast, The Apostles, Their Work in the New Testament Church. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.